Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Guest speaker Leith Anderson kicks off World Outreach Week, exploring why this is the perfect time to be the going church for the coming Lord. Let's listen now. Hello, Antioch Church. Um, Avon, Avon Church. Well, actually, I mean both. Because the Antioch Church and Valley Church in Avon uh, share in common living in tumultuous times and also being seriously committed to outreach and to mission. Tumultuous times for the Church of Antioch in the New Testament. The story is told in Acts chapter 11. It is uh, a church that is described at a time when there was significant persecution against Christians and when there was a famine over the entire Roman Empire. So, you know, we, we think in terms of a famine and being in a place, a part of the world. For them, the whole world was the Roman Empire and everybody was facing a famine and starvation. And it was at that tumultuous time that they became an amazing missions church. They sent out one of the most famous missionaries of all, and that was Barnabas, and perhaps the most famous missionary of all, and that was the Apostle Paul. They were the place, they were the people where for the first time, the disciples and followers of Jesus were called Christians. The Antioch Church was an amazing church at a difficult time. And Valley Church, well, you look at what you receive when you came today and just read, if you haven't already, some of the stats. A congregation that is reaching tens of thousands of people, a million in humanitarian outreach, a million dollars in giving. It's kind of like the Antioch Church, again, it's all over again. Here, now, you. Okay, so let me try to connect all this with one of the most famous parables of Jesus. Jesus, you know, was a master storyteller, and he told the story in Matthew chapter 25 of this very rich man who had servants, employees, and he chose three of them, three that were supposed to be really good at what he asked them to do. And he gave them a large amount of money and came back to find out what they did with it on his behalf. Jesus says that they were entrusted with all of this. And then he makes an analogy when he says that two of the three did really well and they were given an accolade that uh, is probably the most famous line in this parable of Jesus, and that is, well done, good and faithful servant. It's actually kind of the least quoted line of the story that especially intrigues me. But hear it again. Jesus begins the story by saying, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, uh, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey and the man who had received five talents went at once, put his money to work, and gained five more. So he doubled it to ten. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But 
The man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Okay, so, you know, you hear this story of Jesus, I mean, I at least, and maybe you, wonder if I were in that story and you were talking about me, I wonder how I would rate on a scale of one to five. I wonder what he would entrust to me. And maybe more selfishly, I wonder, do I get 1% of this? I mean, is, <laughs> is there an investment fee that's involved? And, and what's a talent anyway? Actually, that's... Uh, not a small problem. It's always difficult to translate money from an ancient society to a modern culture. And talent, well, it was a measure of weight. It was a measure of money. Uh, we really don't exactly know. That's why some modern translations of the Bible don't even use the word anymore. They say it was a bag of money and try to be less specific. We know that, at least early in the Roman Empire, a talent was considered the average weight of an adult man. Well, you know, that's pretty subjective. I mean, just look around, and uh, the average weight is, you know, it varies a lot from man to man. So um, some scholars have settled on the number of around 80 to 100 pounds. If it was 80 pounds and it was silver, and we're not told which talent it was, what it was made out of, it would be one talent, the equivalent of 20 years of income for the average laborer. Now, of course, one guy got five talents, so that would be 100 years of salary, if it was silver. Now, if it was gold on today's market, we're talking about one talent being somewhere around $1.6 million in our money. And I admit, it's, it's tough to compare our money to their money, but then if you're talking five talents or you're talking 10 talents, you're talking 10, 11, 12 million dollars. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing large amount of money. Well, and you, you know what happened. So two of these employees invested the money and they doubled it and they're told, well done, you've done a great job. And the third one, he buried it in the ground. He didn't even keep up with inflation. He's condemned, and he's kicked out. But I told you, I'm kind of intrigued by probably the least quoted line of Jesus' parable. It's in Matthew 25, 19. It says, after a long time, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Hey, I hope every one of us in this room someday could hear the voice of Jesus saying, well done. But understand, it takes a long time. It takes a long time in the Bible. You know, you read the biography of Moses. He was 80 years old before he even started to set his people free from slavery in Egypt to go to the promised land. Or Jesus. We calculate that he lived on earth about 33 years. 30 of those years were just getting ready for the three years that we have reported in the Gospels. 90% of his life was in preparation. It took a long time for Jesus to get ready. It, it, it took a long time. And, you know, we know that. It takes a long time to build a house, to build a career, to raise a child, to write a book, to develop a church. It takes a long time for some of us to, when we pray and we ask God, give us some counsel, give us some direction, help me with this illness or uh, with this career that I've chosen or a relationship that I'm in. And, and 
obviously, we, we want a quick response. We want things to happen immediately, but we know from our own experience it can take a long time. So I was with a small group, and we were uh, traveling to visit different humanitarian sites in the Sahel of Africa. We were driving in a land cruiser across Mali. It was actually on the 1st of May, and this land cruiser, the air conditioner, had broken, so it was terribly hot, and our guide was the daughter of missionaries in the Congo, and she had grown up in the Congo, and she told me a story, a story that kind of was the most memorable part of this trip. She said that when she was a little girl, her parents took her to a celebration of the 100th anniversary of the coming of the story of Jesus to their part of the Congo. And she said it was a multi-day event, huge festivities. They had meals and they had music and they had speakers, all kinds of things going on. And on the last day, an elderly man asked if he could stand on the platform and tell some information that he alone knew. And he said he would soon die, and if he took this with him, that people would never know what really happened. And she said that he then explained that when missionaries came a hundred years earlier, nobody had ever heard anything about what they were talking about and didn't know whether it was credible, didn't know whether to believe this Jesus stuff or not. And that some of his tribal leaders came up with, um, well, an astonishing plan, and that was that they would poison the missionaries one at a time and watch how they dealt with it and how they died. And then later they would evaluate whether or not what they were talking about was credible and true. And so that's what they did. So a child died, was buried, and then a mother, and then the father in a different family. One by one, over several years, they all died. They all died. There was a part of me that says, why didn't they go home? They could have. But they decided to stay and be faithful to Jesus, and they made Jesus look good. They made Jesus look so good in the way they lived and died that the tribal leaders reconvened, this old man explained, and decided that what they said was true and that they should all become Christians. And she said, on that day when we were celebrating, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people from that same group all there celebrating their faith in Jesus Christ. But it took a long time. It took a hundred years. And those first missionaries, they didn't know why they were dying. They didn't have any idea what would happen a century later. They simply trusted God that God who was in this for a long time would be faithful. Or let me tell you a personal story. So uh, I, I served uh, actually most of my life as pastor of uh, Wooddale Church in suburban Minneapolis. And the first few years there, there's all kinds of circumstances, but um, I was young, the circumstances were difficult, and it was hard, it was just hard. 
uh, to the point, you know, I never told this to people, but I, I thought about quitting. It just didn't seem like, I don't know, it didn't seem like anything really that good was happening, and maybe somebody else could do better. Uh, but but let, let me just spin that ahead into the 21st century. For uh, several years, in addition to pastoring in Minnesota, I served as the president of uh, Denver Seminary in Colorado, and so would commute there each week. Uh, Charlene, my wife, was traveling with me, and we were in Denver, and we came back on a Wednesday night, last flight back to Minneapolis. And we got on the plane, she was seated at the window, I was seated at the aisle, and everybody was settling in before takeoff. And the flight attendant was busy going back and forth, and uh, came by our row and just stopped, and looked at Charlene, turned to her, uh, and said, are you reading, what, what, are, what are you reading? And she said, it's a Bible. And the flight attendant said, that's my favorite book, and I know the author, she said. <laughs> anyway, she left, and that was sort of the end of that conversation. And the plane settled down after takeoff, maybe a half an hour into the flight, the cabins darkened, and she came back and struck up a conversation with Charlene. I was tired. I was just about asleep. And, <clears throat> but she knelt down in the aisle next to me, so she was very close, and they're talking back and forth over me. And I kind of listened and really didn't, but uh, it became obvious she was a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And so in the conversation, uh, Charlene said, well, to her, where, where do you live? And she said, well, I live in Loveland, Colorado. And she said, Charlene said, well, we used to live in Longmont, Colorado, which is just south of there. And um, then the flight attendant said, well, where do you live? And Charlene said, we live in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And the flight attendant said, I used to live in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And then Charlene said, well, um, where did you go to church when you lived in Eden Prairie? And she said, oh, she said, I went to Wooddale Church, and I can still remember the sermons. And I started to wake up, <laughs> and uh, I got kind of interested, and I wanted to sort of see what she was going to say and where all this was going to go. So I looked over to Charlene, and I sort of gave her the look, which was intended to communicate, don't say anything. Let's just let her talk it out and see what happens. Uh, for whatever reason, the, the look didn't work, and... Um, and she says to the flight attendant, well, you need to know, he's the pastor of Wooddale Church. Okay, keep in mind, she's 12 inches from my face. She looks at me and says, no, this was 25 years ago when Leith Anderson was the pastor of Wooddale Church. Okay, so time, honestly, time takes its toll on all of us. I mean, I realize, I realize that. I, I reached in my wallet and took out my driver's license and showed it to her to prove that my wife actually knows who I am. And then she told us the rest of her story. And the rest of her story was that when she was a rookie flight attendant for what was then Northwest Airline, uh, she had a long layover at the Minneapolis airport. And... Instead of staying in the terminal, she went out to her car and she started to drive around. It was a Sunday morning. She saw a church building, and it was Wooddale Church's building. And she parked her car. She came in, I think, late and sat in the back and just listened. She said she listened to the sermon, 
And then she said, and that morning I decided to follow Jesus and I've never turned back. And then she said that she had married a godly Christian husband. They're involved in their uh, church in, uh, in Loveland. She told about it. She actually gave to us uh, these little booklets that she has written and published. It's about bad weather and flight delays and all these other things. But they all come around to the Scripture and to the Gospel, and she gives them out to passengers. She leads a Bible study, actually an annual conference of flight attendants, so that the Bible can be studied and the Gospel can be presented. It was a wonderful story. And I didn't know anything about this. I didn't find out about any of this until until 25 years. It took a long time. I know a long time can be defined differently by different people and depending on what are those circumstances, but a time when I felt discouraged and actually thought about quitting, God was doing something significant that I didn't realize. I didn't find out what the fruit of all of this would be. And so it was for the Antioch Church and so it is for Valley Church that the investment that you're making now, it's already significantly paying off. I've got to tell you, the numbers that you've already heard today, they're stunning. They're just wonderful. But we're in this for the long haul, for the long time. And God, God eventually, like in the parable, has Jesus coming back. You know, the going church for the coming Lord, the theme for this week, has Jesus coming back? And it makes us want to ask, well, how are we doing? I mean, how are we doing so far in all of this? After all, among Jesus' last words also in the Gospel of Matthew is his commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and, and doing the discipleship to obey all that Jesus has commanded. So at least in my take of things, the most significant and profound growth of the church of Jesus Christ in the advance of the gospel have happened basically two times in history. The first time was in the early centuries of the church, and the second time is actually right now. So for those of you that kind of like some stats, let me throw some your way. These are coming from the Center for the Study of Global Christianity here in New England at Gordon-Conwell Seminary outside of Boston saying that Christianity, now these are people who would claim to be and profess to be Christians. Christianity is the largest religion in the world with over two and a half billion people as self-identified Christians. At the current trajectory, the current rate of growth by mid-century, it will go from today's two and a half billion to then about three and a third billion. Christianity is growing more rapidly, in most cases more significant in rapidity, than any other religion. And, and, and the, the biggest segment of these billions is Catholics, but the fastest growing segment is evangelicals and Pentecostals. Do you know, in the year 1900, it's estimated there are about a million Pentecostals in the world, and today it's about a billion Pentecostals in the world. And the fastest growth, the fastest growth is in Asia and Africa, that 
in previous generations, not very long ago, most Christians were in what we call the global north. That's not a geographic term. So that's Europe and North America. It also includes Australia and uh, places like uh, Singapore. But it's sort of the, the Western culture world. That's where most Christians were. That's no longer true. Most Christians are now in the global south. There are more Christians now in Africa than on any other continent. And the rapidity of growth there is, again, stunning. So much so that we think that if it continues as it is now in mid-century, by 2050, that's 27 years from now, there'll be 1.3 billion Christians on the continent of Africa. Africa will be the first continent ever to have a billion followers of Jesus. It's also fascinating that the more significant growth is actually occurring in places where Christians are a minority. So it's not traditional places like North America and Europe. It's countries where other religions and cultures outnumber and significantly outnumber the number of Christians. That means that the gospel of Jesus Christ is penetrating peoples and cultures like never before. Okay, so where are the most Christians? I mean, if you're going to sort of rate the Christian countries. Well, number one is the United States of America with 245 million self-identified Christians. The number two, that would be the second largest Christian country in the world, is the People's Republic of China. And if we look at the 10 countries where Christianity is growing the fastest, listen to the list, Nigeria, China, the Philippines, India, Brazil, Indonesia, Kenya, South Africa, Ethiopia, Tanzania. Uh, and you say, well, no, wait a minute. Are these really true believers, Orthodox Christians? I think it was last week or a few days before that, I was on a Zoom call with a colleague, a friend in uh, Kenya, Africa. And I just, the week before that, had a conversation with someone else from Kenya who had told me that 80% of the people in Kenya go to church. So I told her this on the Zoom call, and she said, yeah, well, that may be true in my country, but, you know, those that go to church, they're not all really all that orthodox, and some of them have a lot of bad beliefs. So I, I recall the conversation that I'd had in our home with... Uh, uh, a prominent missiologist, Ralph Winter. And I said to him, well, t help me understand this, what's happening in Africa. Millions and millions of people are becoming Christian, and churches all over the place are just explosive growth. I, I said, but, but is there heresy there? Is, are they less than orthodox? Do they have things that are just flat out wrong? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, well, like where? He said, oh, everywhere. And I said, how, how do you deal with that? How do you make sense of that? And here's what he said to me. He said, you know, if you take Western Christianity, the, the Mediterranean world from, you know, Israel to Gibraltar, um, if, you, if you take them and look back in history, it took 400 years for them to reach what we would today call orthodoxy. It took them pretty much that long to figure out exactly which books belong in the New Testament and which ones don't, 400 years. He said, do you think we'd be willing to give Africa 50 years or maybe 100 years to get to where it took us 
400 years? And then he said something that just stuck with me. He said, as long as they have the Bible and the Holy Spirit, they'll come out okay. And I thought, that is not only a source of great hope, but it has a source of profound faith, a conviction that where the Bible and the Holy Spirit are involved, even if people have thoughts or beliefs that are heretical, they'll be okay. They will come to a biblical sound truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we, live, we live this amazing time. I mean, there's just never been anything like it before. So imagine with me that someday in heaven, we're sitting around this big round table, and there's us from here and now, and there are Christians from the Antioch church. I mean, maybe it's a good enough conversation. We've got Barnabas at the table. Maybe the Apostle Paul himself is there at the table, and maybe standing around the perimeter or others, like Peter and Paul and Andrew and James and John. And what we're talking about are the times in which we live. And we say to them, you know, we've read about it in the New Testament. I mean, it is spectacular. 3,000 people on Pentecost, all these different languages. They all became disciples of Jesus. Wow. What was it like to be there when God was doing this great thing? What was it like? And they say, well, it was wonderful. I mean, it was just the power and presence of God and the thrill of sending out two missionaries from the Antioch church. And we had dreams that someday the two would be dozens, and we had hoped that the hundreds, maybe the thousands, like Pentecost, there could be another Pentecost, maybe 3,000 more. We had dreams and prayers that the gospel of Jesus Christ would reach from Jerusalem to Antioch and maybe someday across the Mediterranean and the empire to Rome itself. It was a glorious time. And then they say, what about you? What was it like in the 21st century? And then one of them said, you know, it's a stretch, but we heard some rumors. Rumors that in your time in the 21st century, it wasn't thousands of new Christians. It was millions of new Christians. And someone across the table said, I heard it was billions of new Christians. And then... Someone else said, well, I heard, I heard that you were sending out missionaries by the tens of thousands and more. I heard that the gospel of Jesus Christ was penetrating parts of the world far beyond the Roman Empire that we know, all to places that have languages that we've never even heard of, to countries and tribes that we know nothing about. Is that true? Is that what it was like for you in the 21st century? And then they ask, if that's the way it was, if you were there when God was doing this great, great thing, far eclipsing anything recorded in the New Testament or that we experienced, what was your part? What was your part in God's great miracle? And have an answer ready that God blessed you, blessed us, with a glorious time, an amazing, amazing miracle. Get ready. Tell about what it was like in our time. Tell about Valley Church. 
Tell about the numbers that are on the sheet that you have perhaps in your hand or heard earlier. Tell about our part, your part, in the great thing that God is doing in our generation. Every four years when the Olympics take place, there's a story shows up on a news report or a publication. It's a really interesting story from the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. It was the marathon race that gave the story. The marathon in Mexico City in 68 was especially difficult, as you may know. Uh, Mexico City is a high city, over 7,500 feet in elevation. And so for marathon runners, that altitude, especially they had come from lower altitude places, was almost impossible. There were 75 nations that had runners at the start line. There were 57 that finished the race. There was a 34% dropout race. The winner, the gold medal, went to Mamo Waldi of Ethiopia. He ran the marathon in two hours, 20 minutes, 16 seconds. Hold the number, two hours, 20 minutes, 16 seconds. The last runner to finish the race crossed the finish line more than an hour later at three hours, 25 minutes, 17 seconds. His name was John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania. You see, he had fallen. He had fallen and pretty seriously cut his leg. He was bleeding. He actually displaced his knee. And he kept running. He kept going for a long time, an hour longer than the winter, a long time. And when he finally came back into the stadium and when he crossed the finish line, there was hardly anybody left there. They'd all gone home. A reporter came up to him and said, Mr. Aquari, why did you not quit the race? And he said, my country, Tanzania, did not send me 10,000 miles to start the race. My country, Tanzania, sent me 10,000 miles to finish the race. That's the parable of Jesus. That's our story. That's the Valley Church story. That's the going church for the coming Lord. He has called us not just to start the race, but to finish the race. And he has given us the most amazing time and opportunity. Run the race. Finish it well. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.